And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Podcast. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have a truly amazing interview lined up for you today. And before we dive headfirst into it, I wanted to share a quick offer from one of our sponsors. If you're looking for the highest quality superfoods, natural supplements, and lifestyle upgrade products, I want to recommend you take a look at Purium Health Products. They produce some of the world's best superfood products by maintaining total control of the sourcing process through producing a majority of their products on their own farms and using their patented live dehydration process, which helps to maintain total nutritional integrity. Some of my favorite products I use daily are the Super Amino 23 Protein Replacement Amino Acid Product, the Love Super Meal, which is a live, organic, vegan meal replacement formula. The Apothecary product, which is an organic, GMO-free cherry concentrate that helps increase natural melatonin levels and aids in REM sleep. And also, their revolutionary first-ever anti-GMO product, the Biomedic which has been shown in preclinical studies to safely remove up to 74% of the GMO insecticide glyphosate from the human body in around six weeks of using the product on a daily basis. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with what this company offers. I encourage you to visit their website, www.ishoppurium.com, and use my coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL all spelled in one word, to receive a $50 coupon on your first order and up to 25% on reoccurring orders after that. Again, the website is www.com. 
iShopPurium.com and use the coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL. Stephanie Kwong is a rapid transformational life coach, clinical hypnotherapist, podcast host, and self-love catalyst. She's the creator of the 40 Days Self-Love Transformational Program that teaches on how to develop self-love and self-acceptance that has impacted thousands globally. Stephanie has worked one-on-one with hundreds of people around the world and developed proven evidence-based processes to bring forth happiness, purpose, and inner peace. She has consulted with a small selection of celebrity clients, conscious entrepreneurs, visionaries, and creative kindred spirits in need of direction. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome on Stephanie to the show. How are you doing? So good. Thank you so much for having me on, Ronnie. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. We've been uh, looking at doing this for many, many, many months and, (laughs) you know, lining things up and adjusting to life. And finally, here we are. So I'm super excited. I'm so grateful to be here and, you know, just thankful to be able to share on your podcast because I know it impacts so many people. So again, thank you for having me on. Yep. So the best place to start is really getting a little bit of a background into who you are and what led you into the work you do. I know that this conversation will likely take a number of different directions. So let's start off with the basics and you know a little bit about your backstory and what got you into the work that you do. Yes. Yeah, so I... Um there's a lot to tell, but I'll, I'll keep it as short as possible. I actually, when I came to Los Angeles, I started working in PR as well as um, in entertainment, and I did that for quite some time. A lot of successes with that, working on different productions, raising money for independent feature films. I even at one point was selected to be mentored by Shonda Rhimes, who created Grey's Anatomy for a TV show idea that I had pitched. And while it seemed amazing to a lot of people on the outside, inside I was just not fulfilled at all. And ever since I was a little girl, I actually got turned away from volunteering because I was too young. But I had started volunteering at a very young age, never stopped. I was you know, working at the Humane Society with at-risk youth kids, with the homeless. I trained to work on the suicide hotline when I was at college at UC Berkeley um, and kept doing that when I got to Los Angeles. And I can't, had a moment where I, I also did things to numb out, which were very unhealthy when I was working in the enter- entertainment industry. And I came to a moment where I realized, I was like, what am I doing? I'm so not happy but I didn't know what was next. And when I started evaluating my life, where I saw that I felt the most joy and fulfillment was when I was giving back. So going back to those times of when I was volunteering, but of course I didn't think you could actually make a living off of it. So I didn't know what was next. I actually set the intention when I decided to leave the entertainment industry, I set the intention to be in contribution. I was like, whatever's next It has to be in contribution. And so when I was looking for what that thing was, I was filtering jobs to make money through that filter. And I ended up getting a job running operations 
at an, a live-in weight loss facility. And while I was there, I was there for three months, there was a young girl who came from Italy. She was a client. We built rapport. She came up to me one day and said that she felt really lonely at night because all the clients, it was a very high-end live-in camp, so they had all their own apartments. And she felt very alone. She had gone to Ralph's, the local grocery store, bought a ton of food, binged and purged. And she said that she didn't want to do that, so she wanted someone to stay with her in the evenings when she felt the urges come up. And that she was looking for someone on Craigslist. And I was like, uh, you're not going to find someone on Craigslist to stay with you at night. And I looked, she was there for three more weeks. I told her I would do it. And I was in a leadership program at the time. Now, I've always been also studying human potential and personal growth. Ever since I was a little girl, I was listening to Tony Robbins on tape in my house that my mom bought off of his infomercials um, and studied you know, psychology in college and was always in some sort of training or workshop or reading a book. And at that time, I was in a leadership training. And so I told the girl, you know what, I'll stay with you at night, but I'm in this leadership training. I have to go there. I'll come over afterwards and I'll stay with you. So that's what I did. But every night I was going over there, I was teaching her everything I was learning. And within a week, I was told I had to move out of my apartment. I was living in Venice and loved my place. I'd been there for seven years, but my landlord needed to move in. So I told her. Um, and she invited me to come to Italy when she was going back to coach her. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, what? Are you serious? She goes, yes, I wanted to ask you, but I know how much you love Los Angeles. But now that you have no home, um, you know, I want you to come. She already talked to her mom about me. So within two and a half weeks, I gave my notice at work, packed up my whole house, and flew to Italy to coach her. And I was there for about six months, worked through a lot of her um, inner challenges. I knew exactly what, what caused her eating disorder. Um, one, she had to repair her relationship with herself. And two, I knew the catalyst of the relationship that um, sparked it, where she needed the love and attention. And she got better. I came back to L.A., decided this is what I'm going to do. And I got trained through a couple different coaching training programs and started my practice and here we are mm. yeah yeah beautiful and your practice what is what is that entail because I know that you have a few different focuses um and I understand the overarching focus around love and happiness and worthiness and helping people really come back to their self but I also know that you really focus on hypnosis and we've mm -hmm. had one of my, my longtime friends, Anna Bliss, in the original episodes of this, probably like episode 22 or 23, this is, this is now in the 120s right now as we're speaking, so it's like, Amazing. that was a little while ago, but we, we dove into that. I've been familiar with hypnotherapy from like Dolores Cannon and a lot of the great pioneers in kind of American history around it, so I'm just curious, I haven't really talked to you about your your experience and perspective on it. So I'm really curious to dive into um, how you got into hypnotherapy and just um, how that, that kind of works out in the work you do. Yeah, so I am always a student of growth myself. 
right? How do I evolve and become the best human possible to be the best version of me so that I can, one, show up for my clients that way, and two, through my own inner work, discover new tools, processes, and things that I can introduce to my clients if that might be the support that they need to catalyze their own evolution and growth. And through my own um, inner workings, so to speak, I was always like, <laughs> I, I joke about this, but I'm like, I'm Asian. I love results and I like them fast. Um, and so it was always kind of going, well, where can I create this positive permanent change in the fastest way possible? And what I discovered, because so many people will go and, you know, do these three day workshops, five day workshops. They have all these insights. They feel super empowered. They feel like their whole life has changed now. And then within a week or two, or even sometimes just a few days after they're done, boom, they snap right back to where they were. Mm. And so I really was, you know, wondering like, what is the cause of that? And as you know, it's our subconscious mind. A lot of it, this new awareness that we have, whether we read a book cool, new insight, new awareness, and we think we have the key to the kingdom and life is different now. Or we do the workshop and we have these insights and feel this new feeling in our body for the first time ever, boom, everything's changed now. No, it's the insight and the opening, but then it takes the reprogramming of our subconscious mind to fully integrate the insight or whatever it is that we learned or the feeling. And so the fastest way I've discovered um, through my own research and just through being um, a, a client of it was through hypnosis because hypnosis really accesses the subconscious and can create the rapid change there um, versus trying to do it consciously because, you know, the two different ways that we learn is through hypnosis when we were kids, we were in a pure hypnotic state from about birth till seven, eight-ish years old. Um, and as we know, that's what's pretty much in our subconscious mind and what we operate from in life. And that is about 95 to 97% of our mind power. I don't know the exact number, you know, so they give different statistics, but we know that it's a majority of our mind power and that most of our life is run on automatic and from what's been programmed in when we were in hypnosis as kids. The other way to learn is through repetition. So that's why when we're, you know, doing, saying affirmations over and over again or doing the mental priming or, you know, the visualization over and over again is because we're trying to retrain our brains to learn something new, create a new habit, and or upgrade our belief systems, which is in our subconscious. That takes a lot longer and can feel very frustrating for some people if they don't have the ability to stay consistent with it. And so, again, through the hypnotic work, you're able to kind of relax the judger mind, which if you're doing the rep repetitive work, right? So if you're saying these mantras or affirmations and really feeling them, but if your judger mind's like, that's not true, that's so stupid, no, I'm not, I don't believe that, then now you're battling against the ego, the judge. When you're in hypnosis, we relax that part of your mind so that we can just create a gateway to your subconscious to start putting in new suggestions, i.e. new beliefs, new associations, to 
generate new beliefs, heal old traumas, reassociate things that were negative to something positive, um, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, I've integrated it now into my practice because um, I do a very uh, – the work that I do is very mixed because when people say, well, what is it that you do exactly? I've also, which I didn't mention um, in my bio, is I've coached inside of a women's treatment center. And the women there have borderline personality disorder. I've also coached at um, Passages, which is an addiction center as well in Malibu. So I've worked with therapeutic teams. So I also integrate that in along with the coaching, along with the hypnosis and what I do through the coaching and therapeutic work is kind of pull out the old wounds and the blind spots and then drop them into hypnosis to program the new beliefs um, in there. So I've seen rapid results with my clients, literal turnarounds. And even in hypnosis, depending on if the belief or the wounding isn't that deep, you can, I can completely turn somebody around with something in one session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's been incredible. I mean, I had a client who, uh, her mother was an alcoholic and, um, she took on the pattern of drinking her mother's, uh, drink of choice, which was Chardonnay. And, um, when she would get nervous at these big events, she would drink Chardonnay. And in her words, she said she would say really mean things, black out and feel like crap the next day. Mm-hmm. And so she came into session and just said, I don't want to drink Chardonnay anymore. Make my brain not want it. <laughs> and literally, Ronnie, in one session, she cannot touch that stuff. Uh-huh. I did aversion therapy with it while she was in hypnosis. Now, whenever it gets near her, she smells mm-hmm. bile. And, and even her husband's like, what? That's so weird. That didn't work, did it? And he'll try to give it to her. And she literally like, jumps back like it's a spider, you know, and won't touch that stuff and hasn't since we did it that one time. You can't do that cognitively, right? right? How, how do you create that change? So that's why I love hypnosis as well as also increasing people's levels of self-worth, confidence, um, amongst a whole whole host of things, getting over certain traumas to, um, getting through pain management, um, yeah. And getting rid of fears and phobias. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and it brings up an interesting thought for me. I've I've been studying um, psychology, psychobiology for you know well over a decade, probably almost two, and just um, my whole kind of uh, exploration of these things. And um, I know you have a background in psychology as well. And I was just thinking about like um, Freudian psychology and the focus on um, or the understanding of like the ego and the quote unquote super ego and the kind of cognitive barrier to penetrating the, um, you know, what some people might call the soul or the intrinsic Mm -hmm. motivation and then branching out into Jungian psychology where it goes, it takes all that and then goes really deep into the archetypical awareness and understanding of like what makes us us, you know, into the human Uh condition and, and understanding that a lot of the drives that we have, the desires that we have or the, the ambitions, so to speak, Oftentimes they're quote unquote egoic, and when we use the word ego, that I'm using as a very specific term, um, that can be a little bit um, misunderstood. But just to use that term, like a lot of a lot of the desires that we have for um, even healing ourselves, because that's the world that I'm often in, is the healing world. So I've seen 
the difference between people that really do transform a health crisis and people that persist with health crisis and kind of the underlining attachments or the cognitive barriers um, that they have from, you know, whatever drives or desires they have or, or the intentionality and just like the understanding of archetypes, the understanding that we do have cognitive biases, we do have cognitive barriers. And one of the points that you brought up, I think, was really beautiful is a lot of the habits and addictive patterns we have aren't really about those patterns. The patterns are a coping mechanism for a deeper underlining issue. Um, you know, we didn't receive love or affection or whatever the thing is. So we have a we have a pattern that is destructive, but it's persisting because it's serving it's serving a need that we're not getting on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hundred percent, and most people don't even see that that's what's causing it. Right. So that's why I love shows like yours. It's having people become aware of this that um, these current behaviors, maybe that don't work, are really just coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's a challenge too. I always say um, to people, it's very difficult to not mess up your child. Um, <laughs> even if you're trying to be the best parent, because if you, you know how you're saying like, well, maybe the coping mechanism is I didn't get the love that I wanted. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe for some, they were, were smothered. Right. And that could be too right. much love. Yep. And then now they do something to try to avoid that. And it all lies in the interpretation of the child or the, the, in each individual unique human, um, growing up that then, has them create these behaviors. But a lot of times because the conscious mind isn't formed yet. And as it's forming, we are skewing a lot of life experiences, um, in the wrong way, interpreting them, um, incorrectly. That then what's that? Or interpreting, interpreting them based on face value. Like completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That now, um, you know, we are lodging all these, you know, old stories that are just empowering or misinterpretations or, yeah, coping mechanisms to just try to either get love or feel good enough. Um, and I almost think it's a human condition. You can't avoid that. It's this core misunderstanding that every single human being uh, has. And I believe it's the journey of of life to release that, let go and come back to our soul. Right. Which is the truth of that. We are enough. We are loved and we're worthy. You know, something just came up now that I mentioned like Freud in this conversation, I'm curious what your perspective is on this. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Sigmund Freud really talked about, and this came from like Viktor Frankl as well, man's search for meaning, which I think is one of the most important books ever written. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's basically saying that what we need to do is come back to normal human suffering. Mm. And we have disassociated from the, the normal human suffering and a lot of times created fantasies or illusions. And you see this in the New Age world and kind of the, the, the pseudo-spiritual world of kind of like basically living in a fantasy. Like I just came out of that for me too. So this is very fresh on my mind. Like I just came mm. out of certain fantasies that I created that we're not based in practicality and, and we're kind of like avoiding the core wound and avoiding my own humanity. And as soon as I just dropped the drop, drop the charade and just got back into the details of my life and the, the anxiety and all that, and just went with it, 
I realize like it's like a sacred suffering. Like it's it's like we avoid this normal um, pain or suffering that is intrinsic to the human condition and creates empathy and creates compassion. And we almost like can we we can disassociate from it because we don't know how to be with it. Absolutely. Well, this is why I really believe this is the stuff that should be taught in schools. Right. Emotional intelligence, um, human potential, all this stuff that we never learn. And what's challenging is that's when people start to think that there's something wrong with me or I'm broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not the truth. And going back to what you said, too. Yeah, there is this human suffering that we all get to rise from. It's all generational. And as we start to elevate, we can show others how to do that as well. But to lean straight into the pain instead of avoiding it. But, you know, it's like our what we want to do is move towards pleasure and away from pain. So that suffering is so painful for us, we will numb it, we will avoid it, and we'll push it away. But as long as we're resisting it, it stays right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The moment you open up, acknowledge it, embrace it, it then doesn't have its power over you anymore. And I think what people need to know is how to actually open up to it and embrace it and feel safe in doing that versus feeling like it's a threat. Because if we're never taught how to deal with it, we won't Um, until it gets to the point where you literally, like what I see, you know, people getting put into treatment and they hit such rock bottom. They have no skills on how to move through their emotions. So they do really, you know, harmful behaviors towards themselves to try to numb out mm. or to feel or to cope. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we all do it. I mean, look at our look, people watching TV is a coping mechanism. Absolutely. So when people think, oh, no, I don't do drugs or I don't drink or smoke or any of that stuff, it's like, do you numb out to television? Are you staring at your, you know, YouTube all the time or your phone? That's also another, like, way to numb versus being fully present with what's in front of you or even with yourself. Most people avoid being with themselves because it's so scary for them to actually face who they are. Um, But if they meet themselves with love... It makes it so much easier. But again, showing people how to do that is, I think, the key to the work that I do as well as I know what you do and a lot of um, our community and our friends. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. All these, these little nuggets are popping up for me as we go through this. I was also thinking about the notion that um, trauma, PTSD, um, and all other forms of traumatic imprints – are not intellectually accessible. And one of the great downfalls of a lot of the, in my opinion, of a lot of the, the, um, the how do I say, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the, the rose, color, the rose, what's the, what's the phrase? The rose, um, rose colored glasses. Yeah. The rose colored glasses of, of a lot of the, the, the soft personal development or even some of the more new age kind of stuff. Uh, I don't mean to, judgment but there you know there's there's good and bad involved and um one of the downfalls that i've seen for the transformative process and why a lot of people don't get those those the true healing and reconciling their pain is because they're trying to intellectually or cognitively access it 
where this is stored somatically, right? Mm -hmm. This is stored in our bio field, our bio energy, which imprints into our physical tissue. And that's why I think I have such a focus on the body, mind, spirit, um, uh, integrative complex, because I believe that in my, my, just my experience has shown that if we can get into our body and stop being disembodied by just being in our head, trying to figure unfigure outable things um mm-hmm. and just get like you said like to be with the pain be with the trauma and i know that you know that's a, that's a, there's a little bit of a nervous system upgrade and and things like hypnotherapy i think is amazing because it can help somebody um not disassociate but in a sense like sense sensationally disassociate from the overwhelm of it and allow i don't know the subconscious to kind of move in where the the mind is such a barrier for a lot of people and it's it's in that place of like fight or flight so it's like almost impossible for somebody to really get into their pain get into their body to feel and let the pain kind of circulate through Mm -hmm. no you're totally right i mean one thing i do love and i actually do quite a bit of it in hypnosis with my clients is having them be in their body to feel the trauma. Mm. So there's a process that I do, it's called circle therapy, where I bring them back to the trauma. I have them bring up the emotion that was experienced then, but then I have them pass it. So now they're in the process of feeling it, and then it's also showing them that they can create the feeling and let it go. Uh, And then I'll layer over a different feeling that they want on top of the trauma to neutralize the trauma. Mm. What happens is in the moment of the trauma, all of a sudden you're flooded with these emotions and most people, they don't know how to deal with them. They'll either stuff it down or they'll disassociate, which then that's the link of that memory to that emotion. And then they try to avoid the emotion because it's so painful, Mm -hmm. but things in their memory that are in their external world trigger that memory and then trigger the feeling. And because they can't move with the feeling, they'll do things like numb out. It's like the pattern. And so again, in the hypnotic process, which I love that I can't do in my cognitive work as a life coach, but can do as a hypnotherapist is bringing them back to the trauma, having them feel it, right? Letting the energy and the emotion come up and out, move it, and then associate a new emotion to that memory so that it neutralizes it. Mm. And after the Vegas shootings, I got a lot of referrals and phone calls where people are like, can you help with this? Because people were unable to function. Um, And, you know, it was really effective with, I've helped people heal sexual trauma um, amongst many other traumas, uh, through the hypnotic work. So I'm a massive believer in it because uh, I've seen the effects and the results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And something I want to throw out there too of, you know, to the people who are listening is when you do the work, yes, it's great to read the book or do the workshops and get the insights, but really where the deep work is, is what you said, Ronnie, in the body, get in your physical body, feel the feelings, move the energy, right? Get those compartments of emotion that we've trapped inside of our cells, break it open and let it kind of come out Mm -hmm. instead of keeping them in the compartments locked inside our body. And then on the other pieces, work on the subconscious, right? Really reprogram that. And the reason is because I have so many people coming to me saying, you know, I want to, I want to make more money or I want to get a job or I want the relationship or I want the body and I'm doing everything, but nothing's working. 
and they're doing the mechanics of it, right? But if their subconscious isn't in alignment, they're never going to create the change because the conscious desire, the I want, fill in the blank, is part of the conscious mind. That's the five to seven percent of your mind power. Your subconscious, if it doesn't believe you can have it, doesn't believe you're worthy of it or capable, it's going to battle the conscious desire. Mm. And what happens usually is people go, well, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not meant to do that. I'm not capable. They're better than I am. I wasn't built for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough. But really, that's not true. It's the realigning what's been programmed in your subconscious mind to what it is that you desire. You get those two in alignment, 100%, boom. You get exactly what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there seems to be this built-in victimization of self um, from an inability to deal with the world or deal mm-hmm. with challenging circumstances. And I think, too, you know, just on the tip of my mind where a lot of, um, I guess, this fluffy personal development um, speak or, or a lot of it has led people a little bit of a stray in the sense of um, disassociating from the fact that life is challenging. Mm-hmm. And, and we are going to go through... Um, you know, the bigger the dream, the bigger the challenge, as my mentor Michael Beckwith says. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's a very important point of life to just install into the mainframe of our, our awareness because, you know, like you're saying, there is an there is a overwhelming amount of uh, adopted victim attitudes. And I don't – I used to be a little more judgmental in the sense of like, you know, you got to just like, just be more overt about like, just get over it. Like, you know, and just kind of, but without understanding kind of the deeper, um, labyrinth of, of where a lot of these things, how deeply rooted this is and just generationally and lineagely and just one's own, one owns, um, lack of, uh, I guess, guidance or tutelage and the, and the basic truth that look, life is challenging. If you have big dreams and you really want to make your mark or express your soul, as the case may be, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of dismantling and a lot of uh, uh, deconstruction of of egoic identities and safety mechanisms that we've built around ourselves to insulate ourselves from the world. So in order to actually be at peace, we have to break down the walls that, 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 um, you know, that, that basically insulate our heart from being affected by the world. Totally. And face it head on. And, you know, to give an example of what you're saying, something that I had overcome, right in my work, um, I have online programs and I've done different launches, which has been great, but there was still something that was scary for me around going even bigger with visibility and really putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I know everyone's like, well, are you being perfectionist? Perfectionists are just afraid of failing. It's okay to fail. So I get all the lessons, right? Conscious mind. Consciously, I get failure is a stepping stone to success. You got to fail multiple times in order to get the lesson or whatever those things about the positive meanings of what failure is. And that's easy. Okay. That's easy intellectually. But when you're in it, it's, you know, that's a whole different. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's like consciously, again, again, conscious five to 7%. I get it. I get it. Logic, logic, logic. That makes perfect sense. But you know, what I realized was when I was a kid, what happened to me when I failed at something? Mm. I, I mean, it was a sign of the time, but I was physically punished, mm. you know, 
And so what happened is as a kid, I'm interpreting, right? Misinterpretation. When you fail equals physical punishment equals don't ever fail. And even though as an adult, I consciously get failures of stepping stone to success. So go fail and have fun at failing. Why? What's been wired in my subconscious mind is, oh no, red alert, red alert. If you fail, meaning it's as simple as put up a post and no one likes it, that could equal a failure. (laughs) That equals, I know, silly, right? But this is our brain doing weird things to try to protect ourselves. Then that equals failure equals massive punishment. So don't do that. Oh, interesting. And so all of a sudden, they'll do all these, our brain, you know, it's so sophisticated. It's like, I'll do whatever to protect you, even if it makes you feel like crap. So don't post or don't do this or don't fail. Keep yourself small. Keep yourself hidden. Don't raise your visibility because, again, if you fail equals massive amounts of pain. And so what I had to do in hypnosis with my own mentor was to reassociate on a subconscious level what failure means now. It no longer means old pain that I felt as a child. But it now programming in the, yes, I love it, I welcome it, I embrace it, and I'm excited for failure. And that's been the catalyst for me to be able to have comfort in it because I've changed it at a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. And that's the work we need to do is wondering, like, what's holding us back, right? What's the blind spot or what's the old story or what's the old association? And then rewiring that at a subconscious level so that we can actually take the steps we want versus consciously getting it because that doesn't make a difference. Man, I love this. Uh, do you know who Richard Rudd is? No. So he's the founder of the Gene Keys. Oh yeah, I've heard of the Gene Keys. Yeah, so he's him and me are becoming friends, and he he was on the show very recently, and um, just an amazing, just an amazing human being. And one of the things that we talked about was this notion that you know, in particular, the Gene Keys, but just transformation in general is not fast food spirituality. It's not fast food transformation. It's 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 a like in his language, he said it's a slow, beautifully agonizing burn, and and it, you know it's just so funny because um, it's a level of practicality. It's a level of groundedness, and it's it's like I'm. What's coming up for me is, um, and hopefully it's relevant, but um, it's just like this sense that. A lot of our our per, persistent suffering is based in the illusions or fantasies that we've created to avoid reality. And what I further mean by that is when we feel like we don't know or we don't have control or we don't know how to do something or, or overcome the circumstance, um, then we feel powerless. But even if something is just like, it's just, you know, super difficult. But as long as we get a handle on reality and we mm-hmm. get a handle on the truth and it's like, yeah, this is going to be extremely difficult, but that's OK, because at least I have a grounding in the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's one seeing truth for what it is, right. which I think, again, most people are in the illusion. They don't see truth. What they think that's programmed in them, they think that that's actually truth. And that's where they operate from. But it's being grounded in the truth, being willing to operate from that space, and then reprogram from there. And and you can also reprogram from taking those steps in truth 
that then have you annihilate those old beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you keep proving it wrong. And eventually you gather enough evidence right. that your brain goes, oh, yeah, actually, I don't believe that. Because, look, I have all this evidence to prove it otherwise. Right. And that's the most, like, pragmatic you could possibly be. It's just like, mm-hmm. look, the evidence is showing us time after time when I repeat this pattern this continues to come up. It's like, I, I think of like in, in society and life, we have certain examples. And you know, I was talking to Richard about this and it's kind of a crude example, but it's so obvious. And we just, we just get it like in a fitness context. It's like, we know that in order to achieve some kind of physical um, result, like I want to build muscle that I can't meditate my way there. I can't, that can, that can help. I, in some, in like a stress <laughs> you can't? Kind of recovery <laughs> in a recovery, you know, sense, but ultimately you have to go there and you have to, you have to face resistance and you have to physically push through resistance time in and time again, like, you know, all the, and then you have to recover, of course, whole another kind of side of it, but ultimately you have to push through resistance and people get that. Like nobody is questioning that, that metaphor, that analogy yet. How often do we not translate that? And I, I'm kind of like going on a little side here, but how often do we not translate that to the other areas of our life? You know, how often do we just, um, we just take a convenient yet discomforting story that's not serving us or it's not we're not looking at the evidence um, or excuse me, I kind of went off a little tangible. The point that I was making by bringing that up wasn't just about resistance. I think we hammered that. Uh, the point I wanted to make was that, you know, for example, if I'm in the gym and I am doing a particular routine over and over and over and I start to experience like pain or something in my body or I'm just not getting the results after a certain amount of time and and effort, I can start to evaluate and be like, okay, clearly I need to adjust a a movement pattern. I need to maybe get more rest. Maybe I'm overworking or I'm not doing enough, you know, like whatever the case is, I need to just evaluate my technique and then, and then readjust and then go from there. Mm -hmm. That was my point. Yes. (laughs) a hundred percent and I think that you are a very unique individual where you do that Ronnie and other people have to be shown that path that there are other ways and that the one way of doing something we do need to alter and shift in order to get to the next level, mm. you know? Mm. And um, I just want to bring up this point too is because you mentioned the discomfort. Discomfort is a comfort zone for many people. Right, right. So talking about the suffering, they're, it's super comfortable. And that's why for some people when they start to expand and start to feel happier, more fulfilled, more in control of their emotions, it feels so weird for them that they'll sabotage that to go right back to the discomfort mm. because that is their comfort zone, right? So again, whatever's been programmed into us is um, is the comfort zone, even if it's uncomfortable. And anything in our external world that's not in alignment with what's been programmed in equals a threat, mm. right? Or it's perceived as a threat, and then we'll push it out. So if someone's never 
experienced love before. You know, maybe they were abandoned or um, not given the love and instead they just got punishment. Then what they know, they don't know what love feels like. And so the moment someone tries to express love, it feels so threatening to them that they'll push it away, avoid it, or destroy it, right? Absolutely. Um, And so I think it's all this... Again, conscious understanding, but the willingness to drop in and say, hey, let me try to do reps in a whole different way. Let me try something new and let me start to get comfortable with other things that are actually for me versus where I've been sitting for so long. How does that make sense? I kind of went on my little tangent there too. No, you helped round that out for me and that's absolutely spot on. Um, Yeah. So what I'm I'm wanting to do with – the last little window we have, I'm looking at your website and on the bottom of one of the pages, it says you deserve love and happiness beyond your wildest dreams, which is kind of funny because it's kind of what we're talking about is that if somebody has not dreamed to a certain degree, then that would make sense in a, in a very basic way. But I I know what you mean. Like in this, like whatever your, whatever ceiling you have for experiencing love and happiness, you deserve to have it beyond Mm-hmm. One of those dreams and um below it i just want to read um what you had to say here because i think it's really great take three deep breaths and say out loud i matter i am worthy you have a choice accept the role society wants you to play and keep being driven by fear or choose your own path to create the life you wa- you will madly and wildly love with love as your fuel source Anything that is challenging in your life doesn't stand a chance. Love is bigger than your obstacles. Love is stronger than your fears. That's fantastic. Thanks, Johnny. And that's what it is. I mean, as something else that I'm a huge advocate for, obviously, is coming back home to ourselves and loving ourselves. Again, never taught that, right? Mm -hmm. What we're taught is to judge, to compare, and to compete, And it's, again, just part of our culture. However, we were never taught on how to love ourselves. And I just want to throw this out there. If someone doesn't understand what self-love is or is confused by it, because I know for me, when people kept saying, Mm. this is, you know, 10 years ago, you need to love yourself. You need to love yourself. I was like, what does that even mean? (laughs) How do I love myself? Do I buy myself flowers? Do I make myself a bath? Do I, like, what do I do? And so that started my journey self-love, which then I put into, you know, full 40 day online program that, um, a ton of people around the world have gone through. But what I've discovered through my journey of self-love is that it's not an act of doing, but it's a way of being right. Love is a, is a, a way of being with or self-love is a way of being with ourselves. And there are eight different ways of being that I've kind of pulled out that if you can master one, of course, all of them, or build deep practices with them, um, or one, it's already going to radically transform how you feel about yourself, which then transforms your happiness and your results. And the eight different ways of being loving with yourself first is self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Then self-compassion. Right, we're so we beat ourselves up so bad, but if you're able to be compassionate with yourself and meet yourself with love in that way, will radically transform how you feel. Um, self forgiveness, mm-hmm. self appreciation, or celebration. 
I think we don't, and many times when I ask people, what do you love about yourself? What do you appreciate about yourself? They can't think of anything, you know? Um, but if you can come up with a whole bunch of things that you love and appreciate about yourself, what you're doing is looking for all that's right about yourself versus what's wrong, which is where our brains are usually wired toward. Mm. And then other ways of being loving with yourself is um, self-trusting, knowing that you are fully capable to handle anything that comes your way. Um, self-respect. Self-permission and then receiving, which that was a hard one for me. But um, as I stepped into receiving as an act of self-love, what I've been able to receive in life in terms of abundance and love and my relationships has next level. So it's never anything outside of you that you can't have. It's something that you're blocking from within that's holding that thing out. But, um, yeah, if you can love yourself you then can love the world <laughs> um and that radically is is the biggest what do you call it not anecdote the it's a key to kicking fear in the face basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's fantastic yeah well i think that's probably a really amazing note to conclude on this has been really, really amazing. And um, where can everybody find your work and also take part in your 40-day self-love transformation? Yeah, so you can go to stephaniekwong.com. Um, all my information's up there on how to contact me or all the different programs I have. And then also for the 40-day self-love transformation, uh, the URL is 40, the number 40dayselflove.com. Cool. Well, this has been a total pleasure. Super fun to have you on. And I just really appreciate you making the time. Thanks, Ronnie. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.